We're going to be talking today about resurrection and how Easter isn't just the end of a great story about Jesus, but even more than that, it is just the beginning of an incredible story that involves you and me. An incredible story that involves you and me. For we believe that because Jesus rose from the grave, that you and I can have life after death. And this is something that is somewhat mysterious. This is something that's difficult to comprehend. It's kind of exciting. It depends on what you think happens to life after death. My name is Jason Martin. I want to welcome you here to Pathway, whether you are here in the room, whether you're watching in our classic venue or at our moon campus or watching through Pathway Online. We're talking about the resurrection because we're fascinated with life after death. And why wouldn't we be? Life is short. We long for something more, something better, maybe a second chance, maybe a do-over, maybe a change of scenery, maybe a different set of circumstances. We're looking for something better. We're looking for something different. We're so fascinated by life after death that it's no wonder that we have come up with a variety of pictures of what the afterlife could look like. Will I really uh, just be sitting on a cloud playing a harp for all of eternity? What if I'm not, what if I don't know how to play the harp? How many harps are there? How close is my cloud to your cloud? I can't imagine all of this noise, all these millions and millions of harps, most of which do not know how to be played, are going throughout eternity over and over. Honestly, from my perspective, an idea like that sounds more like hell than a heavenly experience. But it's not just extravagant ideas of the afterlife that we think about. I asked my four-year-old daughter, Opal, what she thinks happens after we die. And she said, well... I think we go to the doctor, and then I think we wake up. <laughs> Which, as much as we know about what happens after we die, that might be the most accurate description, accurate portrayal of what happens with life after death. And we can be curious and creative about how we think about the afterlife, but another thing that's true of us is that we are confused. We can have a lot of ideas of what happens with life after death, whether we're part of the church or not, we come to different conclusions about what the afterlife looks like, especially when it comes to our bodies. We can land in different places on what happens to our bodies after we die. There was a survey done in Time magazine a few years ago that said that of all the Americans who believe in the resurrection, two-thirds don't believe they will have a body when they're resurrected. So most of us believe that we'll be ghosts. We get a glimpse of what the afterlife, or ideas at least, could look like in pop culture, right? What life after death could look like. But when our favorite movies and TV shows that show life after death are over, it's over and we're just left wondering. Like Shoeless Joe Jackson at the end of the movie Field of Dreams, simply fading back into the cornfields of Iowa. The people, the characters that represent those who come in the afterlife are over when the end credits hit the screen. And we're left wondering. They're there 
for a moment. They're raised for a moment for our entertainment, but then they're gone. We're going to be, look at how, uh, be looking at how the Apostle Paul talks about the resurrection and how that we will one day be raised, not for a moment to say hello to our friends and neighbors and maybe get a bite to eat before we head back into the grave, but that we will one day be raised for good. We will be raised for good. Turn to your neighbor and say, for good. For good. We will be raised for good. I've titled this message, Raised for Good, because I believe that's one of the key things that the Apostle Paul wants to help his readers, his listeners, be encouraged by. That after death in Christ, we will be raised for good. And this is an encouragement to his readers. Because Jesus rose from the grave, we can be raised for good. If there's anything, that one thing that you take from this message at all, I hope it's that. Because Jesus rose from the grave, you can be raised for good. This isn't something to be afraid of. This isn't something to be concerned about. This is a life-giving encouragement. This is second-chance kind of language. This is becoming right instead of always feeling like you're always getting it wrong. This is looking a lot different than we used to look and becoming more like the person that we desire to be. This is finally being fully human. Jesus raised from the grave means that we can be raised for good. Isn't that something that we long for? Don't we desire more than this? Because Jesus rose from the grave you and I can be raised for good, and that is a good thing. If you brought your Bibles, would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? You can follow along in your Bible or in the YouVersion app. You can follow along with the Scripture and with the outline, also in Pathway Notes you received as you came into the room, or you can follow online through the app or through the, U, through the Pathway app or through version. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we are concluding our teaching series, Resurrected, and continuing to look at this idea of what it's like being resurrected in Christ and having life after death. Let's look at what it means to be raised for good, starting in verse 35. Verse 35 says this, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What an interesting place for us to start, right? But someone will ask. We can clearly tell that Paul has already been talking about the resurrection because he anticipates a question that will come. A question from his readers wondering how a resurrection is even possible. And it's understandable that they would wonder this. There's a couple reasons why I think this is the case. One, Jesus, the one that he's been talking about who has risen from the grave, has previously been ascended into heaven. He's not walking around as an example of what this looks like. And two, bodies that die decompose. So they're wondering how this is possible. The Corinthians, whenever they would go into the city, walking through the city gates, they would walk by graveyards as they would approach the city to and from. 
They would be walking by graveyards. It's no wonder that they would question, how is this idea of resurrection possible? How is it possible? We can see that he anticipates this question, but he also responds, this is foolish. This is a foolish way of thinking. A promise of resurrected bodies isn't always glorious. They under, they're thinking this. It's not always glorious. In the context of a graveyard, the concept of resurrection can be gruesome. But Paul is, Paul is looking at that and saying, this is foolish. Don't think like this. He re, he's reassuring them, you can't have resurrection without death. You can't have resurrection without death. Then he goes on to describe what he means at the end. Verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Verse 37, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. Paul starts by using an illustration of sowing a seed. How a seed goes into the ground and comes out. It goes into the ground one way and it comes out different. Emphasizing that when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed. I've never attempted this but I'm almost positive, I'm not an expert, I'm almost positive you cannot bury an entire dead tree and then expect a new tree to grow from it. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the case. What is planted is different than what will grow. And a couple things are significant to note about this. A seed has been planted. It's another way of saying that a body has to die. A body has to die. And also, what the seed is becomes different when it comes out of the ground. What it's planted is different than what it will be. We are not painted a detailed picture of what the body will look like, but we know it won't be the same. We know exactly what the seeds look like, yet only hints of what they will become. Which brings us to our first point, that you aren't stuck the way you are. You aren't stuck the way you are. Most of us hear these words and are just so grateful. We're ready for something new. We're ready to be made new. We're ready to feel new. We're ready to look new. We're ready to be new. The idea of us not being stuck the way that we are right now is good news. We're ready for something different inside and out. Some of you might hear this, though, that you aren't stuck the way you are and, and be a little sad. You're a big fan of the way that you are. <laughs> Every time you walk by the mirror, you make a point to pause a little bit and to check yourself out. Your social media feed, the, the selfie 
uh, total might determine that you really do like the way that you are. But I'm going to let you in on a little secret. We're in church, so we can do this. Not everybody likes the way that you are. Not everybody does. And the reason why I bring this up is that that's the great thing about resurrection. It's not just that I'm transformed. It's that they're transformed, too. You're transformed, too. A lot of times when we look at these verses and think about this, we think about ourselves. What am I going to look like? What it's going to be like when I'm in life after death? But the reality is that others are transformed as well. I'm not stuck the way I am, and neither are they. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not stuck. Say, I am not stuck. Now say, neither are you. Neither are you. In moving the opposite direction, going back to the verses that we looked at, in moving the opposite direction of the creation story in Genesis, Paul takes his readers through this picture of what, how flesh and bodies are different from one another. He starts with human flesh, then animals, then birds, then fish, then the heavenly bodies, such as sun, moon, and stars. And he does all of this to help remind his readers that bodies are different. To help his readers get an understanding that the body, the seed that goes in the ground will be different than what it becomes. That the body that you now have will be different than what will be. The splendor they exhibit is different from one another as he talks about the heavenly bodies. And the splendor will be different as well. In the same way, the body that goes into the dirt will be different from the body that is resurrected. And that's the first change that we see when we consider the resurrection. The first change that we see is that your body is different. The first change in resurrection is your body. The body that goes in the dirt will be different than the body that is resurrected. And it is a body, the verse 38 says, that has been determined by God. He's already picked it out with you in mind for your good. No filter is needed. No Photoshop is necessary. Now, let me be clear. It's easy to assume when we talk about receiving a new body, it's easy to assume that by this we're suggesting that your body is going to all of a sudden look really good. That, that maybe what you feel about yourself now, it, it doesn't matter because you're going to be looking so much better. Your physical appearance, you're just going to be more attractive than you were before. But I think that would be missing the point of what a transformed inside and out body, both mine and yours, is all about. Because... I'm transformed on the inside and out, and you are transformed inside and out. What we look like won't be the most important thing. You won't need a filter on you. You won't need Photoshop. But it's not because I don't need a filter, not because I want to hide, I don't, because I don't need to hide the blemish right? I, I don't need the filter because I don't think I need to hide the blemish. It's I don't need the filter because you won't judge me even if I had a blemish because you're transformed as well. Does that make sense? I'm not stuck and neither are you. Don't miss this. The body changes 
The body changes inside and out. And here's another deal. It's still a body. It's still a body. So even though what is planted is what is different than what it will become, it's still a body. There is something about Paul using this picture of a seed that helps us understand continuity between what is occurring. Continuity and also change. It's like an apple seed brings about an apple. There is continuity to it. They look different, but we see continuity. It's not like a butterfly appearing from an ostrich egg. These aren't two totally different things. There's a continuity between what is planted and what will become. And that is the case with our resurrected bodies. We'll look at this more when we look at the resurrected Jesus. But it's important to note there is continuity with your current body and yet also a transformation that occurs. God is able to take similar physical material and organize it differently to accomplish his purpose. This is redemption. This is what's occurring in this transformation. This is what's occurring in this new body, a redemption of who you are right now. In the case of resurrection, his purpose is raising us for good. This isn't, let's be clear here, this isn't just resuscitation. This isn't even raising back to life. This is resurrection. Raising back to life is basically you as you were before, but now you have a period of death on your resume. That's not what this is about. Resurrection is moving, moving into something completely different, and it is a permanent return to a physical existence. Listen to what he says in verse 42. Notice the contrast of the before and after. He says, The body is sown, that is sown, is perishable, and it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Some have concluded when they read these words that this whole idea of a natural body represents a physical body, but a spiritual body represents a non-physical body. But that is not what Paul is getting at here. It is a physical body before and after. Now, it's just not controlled by the natural. The body is controlled by the spirit. The resurrected body is still a real physical body. It's just no longer controlled by natural desires, which leads us to the second thing that changes in resurrection, your likeness. Your likeness. Look at verse 45. So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first but the natural, and after that the spiritual the first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we 
shall bear the image of the heavenly man. A resurrected body is a body that bears the likeness, inheriting the likeness of Christ, not the likeness of Adam, our old self. Sometimes my kids will do something or react a certain way that reminds me of Elisa. And I'll say, you inherited that from your mom. You got that from your mom. That is, you are, you are in the likeness of your mother when you do that. And the opposite happens as well, of course. It's fascinating to see what kids are like in, in response to the likeness of their parents. Not just in appearance, but attitude and demeanor and mindset. We see likeness from children to parents. And it's in the same way as a resurrected body. We have a likeness to Christ that we did not have before. In resurrection, we inherit a likeness. A spiritual body that is raised imperishable in glory and in power. When Jesus was raised for good... He was raised imperishable. Death had been conquered. What he was after the resurrection is the closest thing that we can get to understanding what our resurrected bodies will be like. We know that Jesus had a physical body. He walked around. He was touched and he touched others. He ate food. He also, it seems, was able to simply appear and disappear in ways that we clearly cannot. He was mysteriously unrecognizable at times, and yet when those around him realized who he was, he was absolutely recognizable and familiar to them. Something about his body was clearly new, yet he also still bore the scars. I don't want to suggest that I can paint a picture of what your resurrected body will be like since Paul is actually not interested in doing that here in these verses. I'm just basing this off of what I see about Jesus. And if we share some of the same physical likeness of Jesus in our resurrection, we will not only be imperishable, as Paul describes, but we will be present with others like we aren't present currently. We will have a glory and a power that we've never experienced and yet possibly, possibly still own the scars that we received and accumulated over our experience in this life. We will live together as a redeemed people in redeemed relationships on a redeemed earth carrying out God's purposes in His kingdom. There is a continuity from who we are now into who we will become. But the makeover is complete inside and out. If our bodies were music, the remastered versions are going to sound so much better. No longer will we be motivated by pride. No longer we will, see, will we see others with envy. No longer will we hold back gratitude. No longer will we forget to be grateful. Trying to love will not be difficult because we will love one another truly as ourselves because our self-love will be motivated rightly and our love for others will look more and more like Jesus' love for us. 
we will look like the citizens of God's kingdom. Verse 50, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Then Paul seems to shift gears and bring us an imagery of this ultimate victory over death that we have in Christ. Verse 51, he says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The third thing that changes in resurrection is your perception. In resurrection, our perception changes. We now see things through the lens of victory because death has lost its power. This perspective is difficult when we are so accustomed to losing. On a lighter note, the Pittsburgh Pirates know what this is like, right? So accustomed to losing. I love checking the scores every night, or specifically checking Instagram and seeing what happened in the game. And if it's a win, what do we hashtag? We hashtag raise it, because we raise the flag after a win. But oh man, wouldn't it be nice to not be so accustomed to losing that what we're really concerned about raising is a championship banner and raising it for good. It's hard to see things through the perspective of victory when we're so accustomed to losing. And we are very familiar with death. I have read these words, the ones that I just read. I've read these words at a number of gravesides. I've read them over the graves of close family and close friends, of graves of people that I barely knew and some that I did not know at all. I've stood and read these words at graves that are filled with the old and some that are far too young. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where, O oh death, is your victory? And though these words are and can be filled with power, we also hold on to them with trembling hands before God. This is what you've promised, and we're counting on you to come through. Death has been swallowed up in victory, and we do so in faith, believing that he has and he will. Death is all around us, and Paul doesn't want us to ignore it. And obviously, there are times when we can't. 
because death is right in front of us. We have to face it in all of its ugliness, in all of its messiness and pain, but it's not helpful to just move past it. Resurrection needs death after all. And if we minimize the agony and reality of death, we miss the significance of victory that Christ has won over it. For death is serious, and it is a significant thing that has been swallowed by Jesus. Paul is quoting the prophet Isaiah when he says that death has been swallowed up forever. Isaiah writes in chapter 25, verse 7, On the mountain the Lord of hosts will swallow up the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And I'd love to keep reading that chapter because it just keeps going and going with really good stuff. But I'm going to leave it right there. In just those verses, we see, in just those verses, we see that the nations will no longer be blind to the saving power of God. The veil that has been spread over their eyes the veil that has been spread over our eyes will be taken away. We will no longer have the illusion that we can save ourselves. We will be free to see the salvation of God. Death will be gone forever, and we will be raised for good. We spend so much of our lives trying to defeat death, or at least to slow it down. Think of all the strategies you see on the cover of the magazines just when you're standing in the checkout line at the grocery store. We'll do whatever we can to avoid death and the appearance of dying. And yet the reality is, is that God has taken care of it. Our changed perspective through resurrection doesn't mean we heartlessly look beyond death. It means we see the glory of victory against the backdrop of the grave. Don't get so caught up in the mystery of the flower that you miss the significance of the dirt. Let me say that again. Don't get so caught up in the mystery of the flower that you miss the significance of the dirt. For it is from death that resurrection means our bodies will change, our likeness changes, and our perspective changes. And this brings us to our last point. You are not stuck the way you are, so stand firm where you are. You are not stuck the way you are, so stand firm where you are. Now that hasn't always been the advice that we might have been given. Sometimes we may have heard that the advice is, you're not stuck the way you are. God's going to make you new, so do whatever you can and plan to get out of this place. But that's not what Paul is calling us to do. In the reality of the truth of resurrection, stand firm right where you are. Verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because we are not and will not be stuck the way that we are, we can stand firm where we are, steadfast, immovable, abounding in the worth, 
worthwhile work of the Lord. So what is this work? How can we do this? In the context of this idea of the reality of death resulting in resurrection, how can we stand firm in that truth? I think that there's a way that we can think about this through the weekend of Easter. How can we stand firm in the reality of resurrection? Let's start with Friday. Friday, the day Jesus dies on the cross. One way that we can stand firm as followers of God is to help people die well. Christians, followers of Jesus, you are capable to help people die well because of the truth that you know. We should be not ignoring death. We should be looking at how we can help people die well. One bumper sticker says that live in such a way that the pastor doesn't have to lie about you at your funeral. <laughs> help people die well. That's how you can stand firm when you think about Friday. When you think about Saturday, hurry up and wait. Wait. Don't be in a hurry to leave this earth. Don't be in a hurry to get to Sunday, but wait. Learn to wait, not yearning for escape, no bemoaning the world that we live in today, but living as if the resurrected Christ is dwelling within you and you are able to wait and be patient. That is one way that you can stand firm in the reality of the resurrection when it comes to Saturday. And what about Sunday? How do you stand firm? You hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. I believe that hope can be contagious. And I believe that followers of Jesus have the greatest hope because we worship the living hope. And so we have hope in the one who has overcome death and who can face any situation in our path. Help people die well. Hurry up and wait and hold on to hope. Follower of Jesus, if you know that you will one day be raised for good, then live in the reality of that resurrection now. Live as someone who is raised up for the good of others. If your future means that you will one day be raised for good, then you should now live as one raised to be good for others in the present. For goodness sake, live as if you are raised. You are changing and you will be changed. You are rising, and you will be raised for good. You are on the way to becoming more human, more of the person that God is calling you to be, more like Jesus, more like the person that he is making you with the resurrected body that he's already been preparing for you. Consider this truth and stand firm in the reality of resurrection and the truth that you will be raised for good. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you and, and look into the scriptures and be challenged by the words of the Apostle Paul, but also encouraged and blessed. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be reminded of your faithful hand in our lives, that you are working in us, that you are 
making us into the people that you're, that you're calling us to be. You're working in our hearts and help us to be confident that the work that you've began, you will complete. We thank you for this time and we thank you for the fellowship that we can have with one another, the gathering that you've enabled us to have together. I pray that you would be glorified in our lives. I pray that you would be glorified in our church. Help us to live as a people who are living in the resurrection, raised for good, following after you. We thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.